Good evening, good evening everyone. It's great to have you here. My name's John and I'm part of the team who works here for, for New Community Church. I just want to extend my welcome to you, uh, especially if it's your first time here, then uh, yeah, we'd love to have you here. I hope you've uh, felt at home, I hope you've enjoyed this evening and um, yeah, it'd be great to have a chat with you afterwards. Now if there was a, a movie, if there was a film made about your life, what would be the opening scene? What would be the opening scene? What would be the scene, the moment from your life that would be in the opening moments of the film? I was thinking about this a bit uh, this week for my own life and having to think, what would it be for me? I thought, uh, there's a few, if it was getting a bit deep and serious, there could be a few. But if it was going to be a comedy, then it could be, well, there's a few different options. But one option it could be was when I was 20 years old and I, I watched for the first time the film Step Up. Has anyone seen Step Up? Anyone on tour? Yeah, there's a few, few big Step Up. Something like, what is that about? Basically, Step Up is all about a guy who becomes a dancer. And the scene probably in the film of my life would be me as a 20-year-old watching this film for the first time and having it just change my perspective on things. So up until that point, I hadn't really ever considered uh, that I'd probably become a dancer in my life. It was not really the sort of thing I was interested in. I was into my football, my sports. But when I saw Step Up, Channing Tatum, now if you don't know who he is, I would say Google it, but that might be a bad idea. Channing Tatum, big muscly guy, this hip-hop dancer, comes off the streets, you know, becomes this classically trained dancer, and he's just cool and trendy, and I wanted to be him. So I decided after watching Step Up that I was going to start learning to dance. And so I started watching uh, videos on YouTube, tutorials, dancing in my bedroom on my own, and I realized I was terrible. I was terrible. It was going very, very badly. So I thought, okay, I need to start getting some lessons of some sort. But the only lessons available to me at the time were salsa lessons, salsa dancing. So I said, okay, cool, cool. All right, well, beggars can't be choosers. I'll give it a go, see how it turns out. So I started doing salsa lessons, and I was pretty bad at that as well. And the main feedback I was given was apparently I'm too rigid, Unlike Shakira, my hips do lie. There's, there's, there's not a whole lot going on here. And uh, so I was like, i got to kind of work on that Latin, whatever it is, I don't know. So I was like, next time I go to the lesson, I'm going to get that, that, that swagger, that flair on. So I learned another move on YouTube that I thought, okay, this will impress him. This will help me, me do it. And it involved me kind of taking the, the partner's hand and then kind of swinging really quickly and spinning around. And they kind of wrap that arm around you. And it's a bit of a kind of baller move. And they're kind of holding you. I was like, this is going to kill them. So I practiced it in my bedroom on my own, which is the first mistake. And I thought, this will be great. This will be great. So I turned up to the next salsa lesson. We're going for a little dance. And I thought, now is the moment for me to bust this move out. So I take the, I swing the elbow around quickly with my kind of Latin flair. And um, as I do so... I elbow her in the face, I knock her to the floor, and she has a nosebleed. So there's me listening to a kind of salsa music blowing the back, and my partner on the floor bleeding nose. So as you can imagine, it kind of ended there, and my, my dream of becoming Channing Tatum never really materialized. Shame. Oh, well. Well, today we're going to be looking at the life of Peter. Now, as far as we're aware, Peter never took salsa lessons, but he is an interesting guy to look at. And we're going to be going through the Gospel of Mark. We've been doing it every week for a while now, and we're actually near the end of Mark. Things are starting to heat up a little bit. And we're going to be looking at Peter. 
and his life. And he's talked about a lot in the four different gospel accounts. And today we're going to be reading from Mark chapter 14. So if you've got a Bible, you turn to Mark chapter 14 and we'll be reading from verse 66. And this is the account of Peter's denial. Peter's denial. This is probably the moment that if a film was being made of Peter's life, would be at the start. So Mark chapter 14, verse 66. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself by the fire, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly, you are one of them, for you are, you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately, the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. It's this big moment, huge moment in Peter's life. And to fully get the significance of what's going on in what we've just read, we need to jump back to three years earlier. And it's helpful to look at Peter's story because Peter's story is our story. Even though it happened 2,000 years ago, the message that we see today is the same truth for us today in 2019 Sidcup. So let's explore it. It's a message of what it means for us to walk with Jesus. Now in our walk with Jesus, there's different stages. The first stage is being called. Being called. And we read about Peter being called in Luke chapter 5. Peter, who at this point is called Simon, is out doing his day job, which is um, fishing. He's actually been up all night trying to catch fish. And we read that it's been a disaster. And as he's kind of packing his nets down, disgruntled, frustrated, worked hard, got nothing for it, Jesus comes up to him, who Peter doesn't know, and says, Oh, I think you should go into the deep water and throw in your nets one more time. Now we read that, we think, oh, that's nice, Jesus going for it. He knows he's going to do a miracle. Just for a second, think what it would have been like for Peter in that moment. Have you ever been doing your kind of speciality, your job, the thing you're good at, and someone who knows nothing about your profession is like, have you tried doing this? It doesn't usually go down too well. But Peter, for some reason, sees something different in Jesus and says, all right, I'll give it a go. And so they go into the deep water, they cast their nets, and they're able to catch more fish than they can physically fit in a boat, and they have to get help. And then Jesus invites Simon to come and follow him. He says, I'm now going to make you a fisher of men. And then we read this one line in Luke 5. It says, when they came to land with their boats, they left everything and followed Jesus. They left everything. 
They laid it down to follow him when they were called. And there's this really, this really kind of fascinating moment when we read about Simon being renamed. He gets given a new name. In John 1 it says, Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter, the name we call him now, which is rock in Aramaic. Jesus doesn't just call him, but he shows him that he has a new identity. This is all part of being called by Jesus. And I particularly love this story because it reminds me of a true story, a moment in my own life, which I'll never forget. And I was living at a church in Toronto. And uh, one Sunday, we go to church every Sunday morning, and uh, we were kind of waiting for the service to start. And an older lady came up to me and my friend Pete. And uh, she said, oh, hi, nice to meet you guys, nice to meet you. And uh, she said, what are your names? And I said, oh, my name is John. And this lady said, Moses? I was like, no, no, my name's John. She's like, Moses? I was like, no, no, <laughs> my, na- my name's John. You know, you know, pronounce John. And uh, she's like, no, your name shall be Moses. And you will take the people into the promised land. You will fight through Pharaoh's oppression and you will lead them to where God is calling them. I thought, all right, I'll take it. I'll take that. That's not bad. I mean, I'm not going to change my name on Facebook. But if you want to call me Moses, so be it, crazy lady. You do what you want. You do you, boo. I'm fine with that. Whatever. She then turns to my mate Pete. And then she says to him, all right, um, and, and what's your name? And he says, Peter. And she says, Pizza. He's like, no, no, Peter. Uh, Pete, my name's Peter. She's like, no. This is true story. She said, your name shall be Pizza. (laughs) To some, you'll be cheese and tomato. To others, you'll be ham and pineapple. Different flavors for different people and places. Your name shall be Pizza. Serious face the whole time. No job. I'm not making up. It was so good. It was so hard not to laugh at this old lady, but we laughed a lot when she left. Oh, it was so good. I definitely would take Moses over Pizza Boy, but it was a good, it was a good moment for us. We don't know how Peter, how, how Peter found his new name. He got given the nickname Rock. I mean, let's be honest, that's pretty cool. He was probably loving it. But what's significant, other than the fact that Jesus, in this slightly odd moment, gives him a new name of the rock, is that Jesus, the cool thing is that Jesus is giving him a new identity. He's saying, this is who you were, but now you're something new. You were a fisher of fish in the Sea of Galilee, now I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And when we come to Jesus... When we follow him, we don't just tick a box of saying, oh, I'm a Christian. No, Jesus gives us a new identity. You're no longer the same. You're not what you were. You are new and he gives you a new name. And so the first step for Peter and the first step for us is that we're called. That we're called. And we all have a moment like Peter. For some of us, it's a clear moment. You can say the day that someone invited you to church, you've got it in your diary, maybe you you can remember it. For other people, it was a gradual thing. Your parents brought you to church. But whatever it looks like in your story, there was a moment where you were called. Secondly, Peter confesses. 
And before Peter confesses, he has all these really interesting experiences of what it was like to be with Jesus. So he hears Jesus share this message of, of grace and of mercy and of turning the other cheek. He sees Jesus heal people. He sees people, uh, Jesus spending time with the people you're not supposed to hang out with, especially if you're religious. People on the fringes, people with bad reputations. And so Peter starts to form this idea of who Jesus is. And in a lot of ways, he doesn't like it. It's different from what he expected. See, for Peter, he was hoping that Jesus or the Messiah would be someone to free the Israelite people from the Roman oppression. So Peter's thinking, all right, any minute now, Jesus is going to start this revolution. It's all going to kick off and we're going to kick the Romans out. But then one, one week, Jesus does a sermon on, oh, if your enemy slaps you on one cheek, turn and let him slap the other. And he's like, That's, that doesn't really sound like a military conqueror. And Peter can get a bit frustrated at times. But then, in other ways, Jesus is far greater than he ever expected. He's kind. He's warm. He's consistent, which is oddly weird in our human experience he doesn't change he doesn't just have an off day where he's not friendly anymore there's something different about him there's a truth that he's never known before and the same can be the case in our own lives exactly the same maybe you've been coming to church for a while now and uh, kind of you're trying to explore who Jesus is. Perhaps you're on an alpha course or you've been watching some videos online or chatting to friends and you're you're thinking who is this Jesus and in some ways, he might be different or even worse than you hoped or expected. That might be the case. You might have a certain idea of what you thought it would mean to be a Christian. I was chatting to someone recently who said, you know, I've been surprised by how I haven't had all these incredible encounters, these tangible emotional experiences. I thought that would happen if I became a Christian. And yet they said, at the same time, there's a truth to all of this that I can't deny and I think that's the case for many of us. We can have certain expectations and Jesus often doesn't meet them, but then we're like, ah, but I know it's true and I know he's good. And for all of us will come a key moment, just like it did for Peter. In Matthew chapter 16, we read, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, wait, wait, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There's this moment for Peter of revealing and recognizing. God has called him, and now God He's opened his mind. First there was an invitation and now there's been a revelation. 
And we have that moment for ourselves and our own lives. Again, you might have been coming to church for a while and you're trying to explore who Jesus is. In, and someone might say to her, who, who do you, I'll ask you the question, who do you say Jesus is? And you could say, well, on the Alpha course, they say this. Or when I talk to my friend, she says that. Or I watch this documentary on the History Channel and they seem to claim that Jesus was this. And Jesus is saying to you tonight, no, not what everyone else says. Who do you say I am? And that is the number one most important question you'll ever be asked. If you haven't got your answer to that question for yourself on that one just yet, there is no more thing in your life more important than exploring that question. So Peter is called, he confesses, and then thirdly, he rejects. And the story takes a bit of a dark twist. It goes into a direction which we maybe wouldn't have seen coming to this point. And we get to the passage that we read at the beginning of tonight, the moment of Peter's denial. And it's actually far worse than when you just first read it. Because a lot has already happened in the hours running up to it. So the first thing that's happened, we read about in Mark chapter 14, verses 26 to 31. It says, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So they've just taken communion together, as we saw last week. They sing a hymn, and they go out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And then we keep reading. We see that Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, his three closest friends, to the Garden of Gethsemane. And one thing to notice about that, which only really stood out to me this week, is Jesus takes his friend to, friends with him in this moment. He's about to pray, he's about to come before God and wrestle with this horrendous thing, this crucifixion that's about to take place in a matter of hours. And he takes his three friends. Now that's particularly strange because when we read a lot about Jesus in the New Testament, what we see is that he often went alone to pray. So why in this moment, I don't know about you, but sometimes I just need my space when it, I'm going to go through something tough, but Jesus takes three friends, Why? Because he needed them. He needed his friends with him in that moment. He was about to go through some of the most horrific suffering imaginable. And he needed his friends. And we could have this idea of Jesus as this sort of like Iron Man or, or, or kind of this, this ghost with no feelings who kind of went around in a white robe and he, he never was hurt, he never struggled, he's just smiley all the time. But we know that's not the case. And we know it from this story because as he goes to pray, it says he was in anguish. He's in anguish. He's in unimaginable pain. So much so that his body goes into shutdown and he begins to sweat blood. Now, I've had some moments of anxiety in my life, but I've never sweat blood. 
He's going through horrendous suffering. It says his disciples were a stone's throw away. He goes back to see him in his moment of weakness. And what are they doing? He's asked them to pray for him. And they're snoring. How do you think Jesus would have felt in that moment? Yes, he's fully God. Yes, he knows his disciples would let him down. But just because you know something bad is going to happen doesn't make it easy. Jesus would have found that so, so difficult. And then the soldiers come to arrest Jesus. And here's a moment where the disciples can redeem themselves. You know, they've fallen asleep when Jesus is literally sweating blood. I'm sure he probably had blood on his garment. He's probably in a horrible way. And the disciples have a moment to show you, ah, we're with you, Jesus. Sorry about the falling asleep thing. But instead, Peter grabs a sword and chops off one of the soldiers' ears. And Jesus is like, oh, Peter, you're making this worse. And just heals the guy's ear. And he's like, Peter, you've missed the point. And then Peter, James, and John, they just leg it. They leg it. And I just, this week again, just thinking over and over about the moment as the disciples are running, Jesus is chained, and he's walked down to Jerusalem alone. Have you ever been in a moment when you've been at your lowest, your friends seem to have left you, it is the most horrible of feelings. I can't even begin to imagine what Jesus experienced in that moment. But as they run, Peter uh, slows down and he's like, what am I doing? Why, why have I abandoned him? I can't do this. So he turns and starts to run back towards Jesus, but slowly enough and from enough distance that no one will see what he's doing. And he gives it enough time and then he creeps into the courtyard of the high priest where Jesus is awaiting his fate. And there's a fire going in the middle of the courtyard. People warming themselves at night. And Peter's trying to get a feel for what's going on, but his plan doesn't really work because he has a thick Galilean accent which everyone had been able to tell. And one of them says, a servant girl says, hey, you're one of them, aren't you? Now here's his moment to not deny Jesus and say, yes, I am, I'm with him. He says, no, I've never heard of this man. And then he kind of tries to not look too disheveled and too kind of suspicious. So he hangs around a bit longer. And again, the servant girl says, no, wait, you definitely were with him. I recognize you. And he says, no, I do not know this man. I, I don't know what you're talking about. And he gets a bit flustered and he moves away from the fire towards the edge of the courtyard. But another man comes up to him and says, no, I, I've seen you with him, certainly. And then we read it says, he began to swear and to bring a curse to himself, saying, I swear on my life, I have never met this man. And then he hears a sound, a rooster crowing. And then we read one of the most chilling verses in the entire Bible of what happens next. It says in Luke 22, the Lord turned, this is Jesus, in his chains and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. I can't imagine that moment of eye contact. Can you imagine how Jesus would have felt in that moment? As he locks eyes with Peter, who's literally just sworn on his life, he's never met Jesus, one of his closest friends, and then sees Peter leg it out of the courtyard in tears. I just, what would that have been like for him? 
What would it have been like for Peter? He's denied Jesus. A matter of hours before said, I will die for you. And he can't even say that he knows Jesus. Horrible. And we can look at the story of Peter. I've heard people often talk about him and be like, wow, isn't he such an idiot? How could he do that? You might say, well, you said this was supposed to be relevant to us in 2019 Sidcup. I can't remember the last time I was warming my hands on a fire and a small servant girl from Galilee challenged me on if I knew Jesus or not. Yeah, you probably haven't had that experience. But you will have had an experience if you're someone who claims to be a follower of Jesus where the truth of what you really believe is tested. And you have a decision to make of, am I going to say I'm with him or am I going to deny him? I've had those moments in my own life. Key, key moments. For one example, I remember a moment I was in my mate's kitchen. Someone who's not a Christian, he's kind of exploring faith, sharing what I believe with him. And he said to me, all right, I'm kind of starting to get convinced by this, but just please tell me this. Please tell me you're not one of those Christians who believes, insert belief that I do have. (laughs) I remember a time when there was this girl I found really attractive, I was really into, and um, yeah, I, I was back in school and I never had any real female attention and this girl ended up asking me out. And I remember thinking, oh, this would be awesome, but she doesn't believe in God. I feel a call in my life to live for him and she'll be pulling me in a different direction. I had the decision to make. What do I care about? What do I value? I remember just a couple of years ago, I had another big moment like this where I, uh, I was doing my budget for the year every year in September. I planned my budget for the year, tried to see how I can grow in generosity and all that sort of stuff. And I really encourage you to do the same. And um, I was looking, at, okay, how much am I currently giving? Giving to different places and giving to the church. And um, I was like, what was it again I gave to the church? Like, let me just check on my, my bank account online. And I'm scrolling through and I'm like, is it called something else other than new community? I was like, Where, where's my giving on this? I can't find it. And I realized that I'd accidentally deleted my standing order to the church 10 months before. Now, 10% of your salary over 10 months isn't a small amount. And I had quite a significant moment. I remember no one else is going to know about this. I'm sat on my laptop in my lounge. No one knows. And I've got a choice. I can just ignore it. I, li- I could listen to those nice, kind of encouraging thoughts in my head that say, hey, John, there's grace. There's grace. Don't be legalistic. Does it say about this in the New Testament? Hey, come on. Like, you know, you thought you were doing pretty well financially. You can just be more generous next year. It's not a big deal. You don't need to backdate these things. It's cool. Like, it's not like anyone will know. Just, you know, it's okay. It's a lot of money to give in one go. Just don't worry about it. And I'd like to say it wasn't a painful decision. It wasn't difficult. But it was one of those moments where I had to choose, am I going to love money or am I going to love Jesus? I had to make that decision in that moment. No one one in that moment was going to know the answer. But I share that with you because those are the moments we have in life. We can look at Peter and say, you terrible man denying Jesus. But how many decisions do we make in our lives all the time 
where we say what we truly love. And we may, may not be making eye contact with him, but he's with us. He was sat next to me as I was making that decision on my laptop. He's made that decision with that girl. Making that decision in the kitchen with my friend. Your life will be the same. Are you going to choose Jesus or are you going to deny him? It's your choice. And many times it's just a bit subtle. There isn't this clear moment where you realize you haven't given for 10 months or whatever. No, there'll be moments where it's just a bit more subtle. Where you realize you've been drifting, just denying God in small ways day after day after day. And you get to a point where you're like, you know what? It's a bit like I was chatting to someone recently who was really honest with me. They said, I've been spiritually sleepwalking. I've walked away from God and I didn't even really know it. And I found myself in this position today and I'm far from God. And I want to turn my life around. I love that heart in that prayer. And it might not be a dramatic moment for you with Peter that ends in weeping and bitterness and tears or anything like that. But for each of us, it's an opportunity for today to check our hearts. So is that the end of the story? Well, there's one more twist. Peter is redeemed. Now, it should be over for Peter. We for certain know if he was in our society, he would be done. People lose their careers for much less today. One tweet and you're done. For Peter, game over in 2019. It should have been over, but it's not. So what happens? Well, we read in John 21, Jesus has been crucified and then risen from the dead and he's already appeared to his disciples. And then we read of them out fishing on the boat. And in the distance, they see a man on the shore and as they get closer, they notice who it is. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Now, what do you think? I mean, Peter has already sort of had an encounter with Jesus since he was risen from the dead. But I'm pretty sure if I was in Peter's shoes, I'd be thinking, oh, this is going to get awkward at some point because we're going to have to have the chat. And when I know the chat is coming, I'll do whatever it takes to stay away from the chat. But Peter doesn't do that. We read that he takes off his outer garments. He jumps in the water and swims to the shore. He's desperate to see Jesus. And what's Jesus doing? Is he there preparing his little um, kind of TED talk on denial or kind of preparing a, a rebuke for them of, hey, remember that time about you said you never leave me? Let's revisit that one. No, he's not stood on the shore wagging a finger at them. He stood on the shore cooking some fish. He's making breakfast for them. That is the love of Jesus. See, when I've been hurt by people, I pretty much just want distance from them. The last thing, the hardest thing to, and you'll know this if you've been hurt, is to be close to them. Not just close to them, but to bless them. Yet that is the heart of Jesus. Even loving those who've denied him. And then the moment comes when the chat has to happen. And he says to Peter, why don't we go for a little walk? And Peter must have been wondering what was about to go down. And what does Jesus say to him? He says, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter's response is, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. 
Lead my people is what he's saying. And then a second time Jesus says, do you love me? And again, Peter says, yes, you know I love you. A third time Jesus says, do you love me? And Jesus says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And three times, just to mirror the three times that Jesus had been denied, Jesus says, well, I have a plan still for you. I have a purpose still for you. I love you and I will redeem you. See, that's what I love about Jesus. He doesn't just forgive, but he gives purpose once again. He doesn't write Peter off. We read in the book of Acts that Peter goes on to lead the church, to preach boldly, to heal people in the power of Jesus. He's given a new life. And the next time he faces persecution, he stands up in front of it and no longer denies. Now, this isn't a story of how wonderful Peter is, but how wonderful Jesus is. Jesus is the one who called Peter. Jesus is the one who revealed truth to him. Jesus is the one who gave him a new identity. Not because Peter finally got good enough or he became really religious, but because God is good and Jesus is gracious. He is merciful and he is the one who loved Peter even as he was being knitted together in his Galilean mother's womb. Isn't Jesus amazing? Isn't he good? He takes sinful, shameful people like me and you and he forgives us, makes us clean and gives us a new identity and purpose. He is the God of second chances. See, this story ends with redemption. Jesus is the one who says to you tonight, it's not over. It's not over. And I really believe there's people in the room who you've written yourselves off. You say, because of what I've done, yeah, I know I can come to church and I could probably be a Christian, but I can never really be used by God. Yet this story shows that God is the God of the second chances. That is the scandal of grace. You can never outsin his love. You can never outrun his arm. God says he will never leave you and never forsake you. So how do we respond to such love? How do we respond to Jesus? Well, let me ask you a bit of a question to get you thinking about how we respond. When was it that Peter was saved? At what point in his journey did he receive salvation? Well, the truth is, we don't know. We don't know. And it's the same often for us. I remember a few weeks back, Rachel Summers, when she got baptized, she had, I don't really know at what point I was baptized, yet I was saved, but there was this journey of coming to Jesus. It's the same for Peter, it's the same for Rachel, and it's usually the same for us. There's three stages of responding to Jesus. Feet, mouth, and heart. First of all, feet. Peter follows Jesus says he left everything and followed him there's a movement there's a walking towards him some in the room tonight are in the feet stage you're walking towards Jesus you're coming to church you're exploring and that's amazing the second stage is mouth Peter declares the truth that's been forming and kind of brewing in his mind. When Jesus asks, who do you say I am? He says, you are the son of God. He declares it. 
And it's important that we say what we believe. I've heard Christians sometimes say, well, I have a, a private faith. I don't really tell people about it. Well, Jesus says, you need to declare what you believe. In Romans 10, 9, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. There's a declaration, a speaking out, both to God and to people. But, and this is key, it doesn't stop there. See, you can know all the right things about Jesus. Look at Peter. He knew what to say about who Jesus was. But there can be a disconnect from your heart. You might know the theology. You might have read the books. You might say, I would never deny Jesus. You might come to church every week and say, yeah, I'm definitely a Christian. But there's a disconnect. Because one final thing is missing. Your heart. Your heart. Peter gives his heart. It's what Jesus is looking for. Notice how when they were on that walk on the beach together, Jesus doesn't say to him, all right, let's revisit the question. Who do you say I am? He doesn't say, will you be a good person now, Peter? He doesn't say, will you submit to me now, Peter? No, he says, do you love me, Peter? He's interested in his heart. See, in Romans 10, 9, if we read the fullness of that verse, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and what? Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, when Jesus has your heart, it makes all the difference. It changes everything. See, look at Peter's life. Next time his life is on the line, what does he do? Does he deny Jesus again? No, he stands up boldly. Because this time, he has a heart for God. And here's the tragic thing. Many churchgoers have never given their heart to God. They have a foot in mouth faith and are unhealthy and don't even realize it. See, when Jesus has your heart, it makes all the difference. There's a shift in who you are. You have a new perspective, a new priority. It's not how, okay, how can I fit God and church and all these things into my busy schedule? No, you want to say, look, I live for you. You are my priority. How can I make this work? Because I want to love you more. I want to live for you more. The way in which people who've given their heart to God speak is just so different. It's, it's no longer about, oh, what did I get out of church? It's not, how can I give? How can I worship? How can I love others? It's no longer about what you receive, but what you're able to give back. It's, not longer, it's no longer just a tick box activity or like, oh, I really should read my Bible more of, I should be a better or this or that. No, it's, oh, I want to. I want to do this because I love God. And it comes from knowing just how much we're loved. See, we love because he first loved us. Why do you think Peter gave his heart to Jesus? What changed for him? He saw the love that Jesus had for him. Imagine that. Imagine him seeing Jesus die and then rise again and then forgive him. All these things we know to be true. He just thought to himself, how can I hold anything back now? 
How can I not just love him and love him and love him in return? See, Peter's story is our story. The Jesus that he encountered is the one we encounter. And my question to you tonight as we draw things to a close is this. How will the story of your life unfold? What will it be like? And there's key moments in life. And tonight can be one for you. Peter had moments where he said, look, I know all that's come before. And today I declare that I love you, Jesus. Jesus.